Hi, this is Randall Dobbins with Business Partner Blueprint, where we provide strategic alliance education to help you quickly grow your business. And I'm welcoming you back to another episode of the Blueprint Pros podcast, where we discuss how to land big corporate contracts. And today, I'm so wonderful, I can't stand myself. You want to know why? Because I am honored to have Mr. Ed Ryland joining us to uh, help celebrate Black Business Month, but also because Ed has been strong in the minority business community for well over 35 years. He has uh, been, been key in understanding what it really and truly takes to do business with the big boys. He's got a fantastic business that, that actually exemplifies that and Ed gives back. We're going to talk about that a little bit more with him uh, once we bring him on. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about Ed. He is the founder, president, chairman, and CEO of Arvo Realty Advisors, a successful and highly respected full-service commercial real estate firm based in Houston, Texas. Actually, Ed does business all across the country, probably uh across the world. We'll talk about that a little bit more. He has mentored and guided hundreds of minority business executives and developed Invest in My Own Community, a program helping those from underserved communities create generational wealth. Ed's uh, awards and credentials. He's the 2019 Cornet Lifetime Achievement Award. He has the 2019 Texas Black Expo Leadership Award. He's the past president of Houston Real Estate Association and the Texas Association of Real Estate Brokers. He's a certified commercial investment member, and he's a master of corporate real estate. Ed, welcome. Hey, Randall, how are you? I'm so wonderful. I can't stand myself, buddy. I'm glad to have you on the program. <laughs> well, be here. Happy to be here. So, so um, Ed, tell us a little bit about how you got into commercial real estate under the category of where, where, where very few black men have gone before. Well, why don't you tell, tell the audience how, how you got into this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I first started my career uh, in real estate, I didn't, I didn't know anything about commercial real estate. Where I grew up and where I hung out, nobody ever talked about commercial real estate. It was always, you know, growing up, pay your rent, and uh, that was kind of it. Uh, but early in my career, I had an opportunity to get exposed to a portfolio of properties. And we were working for, uh, uh, we had got fortunate enough to win an account with the FDIC. And uh, when we won that account, we, we secured a portfolio of properties to manage and sell for uh, FDIC. And in that portfolio of properties were several commercial buildings. And when I got it, it's like, what the heck is this? Uh, that's what really got my attention. And after I got exposed to it, I began doing some uh, research and inquiring about commercial estate and why I didn't see any people of color in commercial real estate and, and, and quickly understood that uh, it was for a number of reasons. One, it was extremely challenging. That, that part of real estate is a very challenging uh, part of real estate. And then secondly, there were very few companies or people willing to mentor or bring people of color into their organization and train them up as commercial real estate 
professionals. So I uh, began to uh, secure a lot of education around commercial real estate and around commercial real estate and then eventually I left my residential form. I started off in residential. I left that and I opened up and I said, you know, I'm just going to give this thing a shot, man. I'm going to, I'm going to stop all of my attention on commercial real estate. So that's how I got into business. You know, it things things in some strange way. You know, if you if you're a believer then you know it happens by mistake and being at the right place at the right time with the right attitude, some 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 amazing things can happen. I think that's how it happened for me. I was just blessed to be at the right place at the right time with the right attitude. And uh, so that's how we did it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, I, I, I want my audience uh, to know that you are currently in the middle of uh, a book promotion tour for your highly successful new groundbreaking book, The Secrets to Building a Successful Minority-Owned Company. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> t t tell us a little bit about th this project and how, how, you, how you came about uh, putting this one together. Yeah, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, and, 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 and really, it's, 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 it's really interesting how things happen for you. So, as an entrepreneur, you, you always got these ideas going on in your head. You always have thinking creatively and innovatively. And you, and if you're a minority entrepreneur, you, you always having to, you know, manage a number of different things. You got all these ideas coming in, into your head. And so I'm laying in the bed one day and, and, uh, I remember a conversation, uh, having, having with someone when they talked about secrets, right. And, and I started thinking about that because folks have been asking me, how have you been able to be successful as an minority entrepreneur and in a field that is extremely challenging and competitive in a field that is tremendously underrepresented by people of color? How have you been able to do that? And I had to think, and I thought about that question. It was like, okay, 35 years, over 35 years later, how have I done it? And it caused me to start thinking about the challenges that I had to overcome, the things that I had to do and uh, learn by doing, and, and how did I do that and, and, and build a company uh, and, and remain successful over years. And it caused me to think about the uh, secrets to building a successful minority-owned firm. When I look at the statistics and the information around small business in general, uh, you know, there are about 28 million small businesses in this country. About 8 million of those businesses are minorities. And if you break that down even further, you've got about 2.6 that are African-American, about 3.2 that are Hispanic, and the rest are Asians and others. But then when you drill down even further and look at the revenue that's generated by those entrepreneurs, it's shocking and it's concerning because when you look at the average annual revenue of an African-American entrepreneur, it's about $58,000. The average annual revenue of a Hispanic entrepreneur is about $127,000. The average revenue of an Asian entrepreneur is about $364,000. But when you look at the average 
annual revenue of a non-minority is about $552,000. So $58,000 for an African-American entrepreneur, about one hundred and forty-three, I would say, for the Hispanic entrepreneur, and then 364000 for for an Asian. Why is it such a disparity between the minority and the non-minority annual revenue? And I believe it's because we have not had the secrets of success passed down to us. Most minority-owned entrepreneurs are first-generation entrepreneurs. Most non-minority entrepreneurs have grown up in an environment where there are second and third generation entrepreneurs. So the inspiration behind the book is so that we can share the secrets of success to those entrepreneurs who are aspiring to be in business or in business right now that are having challenges and struggle. How do we move an entrepreneur that's making $58,000 a year to $500,000 a year? So I spent a year going across the country interviewing successful minority CEOs and asking them that specific question. What do you think it takes to build a successful minority-owned company? And I received some very rich information, and I compiled that along with my own secrets to build a successful minority-owned company. And we are sharing that those secrets with other minority-owned firms in hopes that we will grow uh, these minority-owned firms to be successful minority-owned companies. Wow, that sounds exciting, and it sounds like you got a lot of support from the uh, community to 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 actually do this. Are are you at liberty to share with us some of the some of the uh, other companies that uh, our listeners could could actually look to to see what the picture of success looks like? So in in terms of the names specifically, we won't share the names, but we'll share the industries. And they're from every industry in every city. When you look, when you read the book, you'll see that they are from uh, different cities and they are from different industries uh, across the country. Uh, and, and so whatever industry you may find yourself in, you will find that there are, and not even just across the country, but we interviewed and talked to folks from South Africa. Uh, as well, and so you'll you'll get their intake, uh, their insight on on it as well. That that's helpful. Uh, you you and I both know Ed that a number of minority and women business owners or diverse business owners. I mean, you throw in uh, disabled and veteran and gay, lesbian, and everything under the supplier diversity umbrella of what's considered diverse businesses right now. And a lot of people talk about how. Um, they don't want to do business with us. And I, I appreciate what you just said, that there are a number of successful Black-owned businesses out there, minority-owned businesses across different industries. And it's like, you know, these aren't the exceptions. There are people out there doing it like you. And, you know, we talk about the billion-dollar roundtable where we, you know, you can see companies that spend over a billion dollars with diverse, uh, diverse suppliers. And so, uh, you know, I appreciate you, you teeing up the fact that, you know, this is more than just your story. It's a collective expertise and it covers many industries and there are people out there doing this and it's more of an issue, not so much that the odds are against you as it is as first generation pioneers, 
we just don't know what we don't know. There are secrets to doing this. So thanks for sharing that, Ed. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what, what some of the key secrets are? You know, we, we focus a lot on strategic alliances, and I know from some of what you've shared with me back in the day, since we, we go back a number of years, how, um, how you were able to actually get into some pretty strong partnerships. Can you share with the audience what, what your experience was with strategic lines and partnering and whether or not it had an impact on your business? Yeah, no, uh, great question. So first of all, I would say that uh, no kind of understanding what you're getting into and whether or not you want to do it. I mean, strategic partners may not be for everybody. I just happen to think that if you're going to scale uh, and you're going to go after significant accounts and you have limited resources and limited in-house talent, strategic partnering is, is, has to be a part of your plan in order to do that. So uh, from my perspective, uh, you, you should be able to, um, add value to whatever partnering arrangement you are pursuing. It, it should not just be, I want to partner with somebody so they can bring all the value and resources to me. I think that's a, a failed business model. But if you can identify what value is and identify that entity or that partner you can put that our secret to identify a, a that we feel good about that means that we 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 chum we believe them we know about them uh we we research them we know what their strengths are in the market we know what their weaknesses or challenges may be in the market we know what their sweet spots are and we know how we can complement what they are doing and we know how together we become a more powerful uh compelling reason why you should choose our strategic partnership that takes a little time to to do that because you have to do some self you know introspective work to make sure that you understand what your real value are one thing about uh entrepreneurs particularly in order entrepreneurs we're proud people i mean we really are so i don't really want you to know what my weaknesses are i want you know we've got to all entrepreneurs we got to put on a, a strong face in the midst of whatever challenges we may be having but when you're talking about partnering with someone particularly if it's a long-term partnership you really have to be honest with what your strengths and what your what your challenges are uh, as a partner, and how do you complement that entity, and how do how does it how does that entity complement complement you? And at the end of the day, uh, how do you not only just gain more business, but how do you make a business? How do you make a difference in the business community? and in the communities that we live and work in. That's been our, our focus. We don't just want to uh, partner to make more money. We want to partner so that it is not only a good financial benefit for us, but it's a business benefit for us, and it also impacts the communities that we live and work in. I love it, I love it, I love it. Now, you said a moment ago 
that um, uh, alliances may not be uh, right for, for everybody. Share, share with us a little bit, if you don't mind, where, where you've seen uh, them be a, a, a drastic failure and under what circumstances do you think it, they, they, they really and truly can be your, your best and only friend? Yeah, if you have to have your, your name on the door and you have to have your shingle out front and you have to be the guy driving or the gal driving, the, you know, the ship, and if you have to, you know, get all the praise and folks have to know it's you, uh, that, to me, uh, is a recipe for a short term or not a, as much of a successful strategic partnering arrangement. When, when, when we go into these partnerships, I don't care if, if my name is on the, 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 the package or not, as long as my name is on the check that comes through the package. I love and it. I, and, and I can tie my value, and I can tie my value of how I contributed to making that, that, that financial and business decision become a reality. But so often, you know, the, the part of the challenge that we have with partnering as minority to minority owned firms is that we let the pride of, of having to have our name and um, run the show get in the way of us having a great team arrangement. So that would be, that would be, that would be the, that would be the first thing. The second thing is make sure you can do what you say you, you can do and do it. I don't want to have to be concerned about you telling me you have expertise when you really don't have it, and nor do I want to have to micromanage your portion of the assignment. I want, I want to have so much confidence and trust in you as a strategic partner that it's like you sitting right in my office and that you are accountable and I can trust and I can tell my clients that if, if you said it, it's going to happen. That's what I think you need to, you need to stay focused on. And then it becomes, a, you know, the relationship. How does that relationship grow? The strategic partners that we have are not just uh, the most successful strategic partnerships that we have. We're not just business uh, partners, but we, we're good friends, too. And they didn't happen over, you know, a day or week. Happened over years where, where we care about each other's success and we care about each other outside of the business arrangement. That's what makes a, uh, a successful uh, partnering arrangement. And we understand what our weaknesses are and what our strengths are. You know, we go in to present. We know who's, who's strong in what areas, and we know if I should not be presenting in front of this client. Everybody's not going to like it. So I need, to be, I need to understand how do we put together the best team to win this assignment, whether I'm talking or I'm taking notes. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, if you can, I want you to expound on something. You know, throughout our conversation, you have, you have uh, used the word value quite a bit. And it sounds like it, it's, it's almost a part of your, your, your mission. It's almost like it's a, a part of how you define what it is your, your, your company does. Would you share with the, the listeners a little bit about what, why you use that word so much and what, how, it, how it has been instrumental in helping you to 
navigate your your company and your your customer relationships? Now that's a great question, and I'll tell you why. We rebranded our company about ten years ago, and folks who know me can can go through the different companies that we have and how we rebrand. But the most recent rebranding, we rebranded our company to Arvo Realty Advisors. That's the commercial real estate. And when, before we rebranded, we, we spent many weeks talking about what should the name be and why should it be? And we've zeroed in on what do our customers want and what do we want to offer on a daily basis? And these, we just listed some words, professional, integrity, uh, committed, driven, value. And we kept coming back to this word value meaning that we want to, uh, to provide value in everything we do every day, both internally and externally. And we just started researching words around value. And what came up was this word Arvo. It's a Finnish word that means value. So we decided we put that word out there and just, just contemplated on it for several weeks. And we decided that value, that Arvo, would be the story that we tell would be our new name arvo it means value so every day when we look at arvo or when others look at arvo we can tell the story behind why we chose arvo and internally every day when we walk in the office and see arvo we know that means that we've got to deliver value to our internal uh, team and we've got to we got to deliver value to our external team that's the one thing that separates, separates us, to continuously look at ways to add value internally and externally. We don't make anything. So we, don't, we can't put you know, an extra cup of sugar or we don't have any Coke secret formula. Our value come in the processes and the strategy and the solutions that we provide for our clients. And so we have to continuously look for ways to be innovative, creative, solution driven, bottom line driven. And we do that by focusing on the many different ways that we can create value today and tomorrow. Wow, and, and, and I take it, uh, not only have you adopted that as a business principle, but I'm, but, but I'm guessing your customers are demanding it in order for you to, to keep the contracts with them, huh? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, anybody, when you are in business, you know, as long as we've been in and you've got competitors out there, you know, there are, there are five competitors that we know will show up at every proposal that we're on. And these firms are not shaky firms. They, they, they've been in business a lot longer than, than Arvo, and they are good firms. So the only way that we are able to compete and to win uh, is to is to let this word value not just be something that we say or some sort of you know cute saying that we live and breathe it on a daily basis. I love it. I love it. Yeah, one of the things that we we talk about is you know there's a a lot about the details with big Fortune 500 customers that. You know, everybody want to boil this down to they're only interested in it for the money and corporate greed and them being soulless uh, entities. And that may be true of some of them. But at the end of the day, they really and truly have a growth mentality so they can make money for, like you said, their internal customers, their external customers, their shareholders and stakeholders. And 
the way that they continue to exist, like you, you just said, your company for 35 years, some of your competitors for even longer, is you have to figure out how to grow. And the way you grow is you have to keep adding value just every day. How can I keep adding more value, more value, more value? If you do it right, more value equals more growth. <laughs> and it means you're, you're around the next day to tell the story. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of that, since you're in the um, real estate industry, I, if my, um, I've been sharing with everyone that you look at industries like real estate, construction, um, public utilities and whatnot. These are all leading indicators about what's going on in the business climate and in the economy. So I'd like if you don't mind to share with us, what are you seeing out in the economy and um, you know, how does the business climate look and, and what do you think that that means for, for, uh, for minority business owners as, as, as you look a little forward? Yeah. I mean, I mean, now it's a pretty healthy economy. I mean, you, I mean, when you break it down, you look at the global economy, there are some, you know, obviously some conversation around trade talks and the impact of that. Then there's a national economy and then there's a local economy. So when you look at, when you look at the, the local economy in specific, Houston is pretty strong. Uh, nationally, you know, most, most, most cities are, are, are pretty strong. And in, in our world, the commercial real estate world, the things that drive opportunities for us is employment and population. So as the employment number grows, that means that there are more companies going to be looking for office space, manufacturing space, you know, retail space, that kind of thing. And as the population grows, the same thing. People are looking for apartments. They're going to be looking for we need more land to build houses. And so jobs and population are the key uh, fundamentals of, of commercial real estate. And for 2019, I mean, this city is expected to to grow about 120,000 people this year. Wow. About 70,000 new jobs. So uh, that all of that stuff, you know, creates an opportunity for commercial estate growth. Now there are, there has been challenges because we've been primarily an oil and gas company. We used to be about 76% oil and gas economy. Now we're about a 36% oil and gas economy. So we diversify quite a bit, but even when we had this last, you know, downfall in, uh, in oil and gas in 2014, where the barrel of oil went from $100 a barrel to $50 a barrel, this city still did not collapse. Uh, you had your challenges. You had the west side of the city, which which experienced more challenges, particularly on the office side. But the east side, the petrochemical side, it was it's going pretty strong. So I see I see positive um, economic growth for this city uh, for 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 years to come. Now there's always something that could challenge that, but but I see I'm I'm very positive and and uh, upbeat on the opportunities for this city. Now, where does that put the minority business community? I believe anytime uh, there are uh, uh, business growth, anytime there are opportunities that, that are growing in general, there are more opportunities for minorities to be engaged. However, we have to uh, continue to think strategically, 
continue to have a plan, continue to work hard, and continue to uh, build the value and the brand of our company so that people recognize that we are available to provide products and services as good as or better than any competitor out there. Therein lies the challenge because it's not just, you know, competitors from inside our local market. There are people coming from all over the world and all over the country because of the opportunities that may be presenting themselves in our local market. But, but, but there are always opportunities uh, for minorities to pursue anytime the economy is growing. Are there challenges? Yeah, because the same challenges we have, uh, you know, 10 years ago, we still experience some of that stuff now. Yeah, I, I share with folks that, you know, 70% of the reason uh, we didn't get contracts 30 years ago is because we were minorities. I, I, and I said, you know, in 2019, probably 30% of the reason why we aren't getting contracts is because we're minorities but don't sleep. Some of those issues from 10 years ago, 30 years ago, they're still around. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't want anybody to sleep and misread what we're saying here. But the business climate has changed, and uh, we, we got a lot more opportunity to make a difference. We got a lot more people we can sell our uh, products and services to. Shoot, we even have a global market, truth be told. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, one of the other things, if you can expound upon it, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, especially in the context of um, the current business climate. I know your, your company has been huge in giving back and you had talked about strategic alliances and whatnot, but I know your company has been instrumental in looking for opportunities for minority business owners. Can you share with us uh, any additional insight that you've had uh, that helps you to know when a minority business owner is actually ready? I mean, you know, you talked about folks not being able to do what they say they're going to do. Uh, but, but I know you, you've got a lot of experience in just, you know, being a student of business, you know, things that let you know when, when folks are actually ready and when they're not ready. Okay. So share with us a little bit of what you've learned about the, the different things that tell you whether or not folks are actually ready to do business. Yeah. So, you know, when I first opened up my company, what I knew was that I was a really good real estate professional. And I, I knew that I was a, a uh, as, as time going on and all of the uh, education and experiences and opportunities I had, I knew I, I, was, I was a really good commercial real estate advisor. And so I could, you know, I could do that. But when I opened up my own firm, you take on a different role. So I might be a great commercial real estate person or a great real estate person, that doesn't mean that I'm a great CEO or I can run a great commercial estate company. I often talk about I might be a great widget maker, but it don't mean I can run a widget making company. So just because I think I'm ready <laughs> does not mean does not mean that I'm ready, right? Right. Uh, it's a lot more to running a company than it is uh, to to providing the service for that company. 
I, you know, I used to do a lot of my own work. I mean, I was, I, I've got the business and I serviced the business and, and that was the extent of my, uh, kind of challenges. Well, when, when you become president CEO uh, of your company, now you're dealing with human resource problems. You're dealing with budgets and you're dealing with financial statements and you're dealing with marketing and you're dealing with business development. You're dealing with banking. You're dealing with growth, not growth, strategic alliances, bills here. You're trying to juggle. It's just, it's just a whole lot, right? You don't know when you come in this office and when I come to the office, I don't know if I'm be what I'm going to be doing. Do I have to change them? You know, do I have to get rid of an employee? Do I need to bring someone on? Do I need to talk to a banker? Do I need to, you know, what is it I'm going to have to do? You know, in the early days, you know, you, you using credit cards and mama cards and friend cards and every other kind of cards you do. And you, and you, and you washing the dishes, right. And you making the copies and you doing all that stuff. When you first started, you are, entrepreneur, minority entrepreneur with very limited resources. So no, you're not ready to walk in and do business with Exxon Mobil. You don't even have your infrastructure in place or your capacity uh, to scale up and provide that type of service. And, and I, know we, I know we think, you know, because we come out of corporate America, we can do that, we understand all that, but you may, you may not be ready. So it takes time for you to understand how to, uh, not only start a company, build a company, grow a company, maintain a company, and all the dynamics that go along with that. And then it takes time for you to understand that, you know, when you're dealing with business, there are different levels. I mean, for us, you know, our goal is, to, you know, our, our clients are in three different buckets. They are corporate Fortune 500 clients, they're government clients, federal, state, local, and they're small minority-owned businesses. All three of those categories have a different way of, conducting business and how they decide how they're going to conduct business and who they're going to do business with. So unless we understand that, you know, we limit our chances of being success. And believe me, it is tough. When I look at the corporate sector, we still, it's still very, very challenging for us to uh, secure significant corporate contracts. When I look at, look at the government sector, we've done pretty well in that area, but there's still a lot of room for growth there. Even in the small the minority-owned business sector, we have a challenge because most of the time, the small minority-owned business people, they don't know that we can assist them at no cost in many cases to, for themselves. So they'll drive out and drive around and try to do do-it-yourself deals. So every you know every uh, aspect of running a business, uh, uh, it, it, it takes some thought. And so just because you think you're ready to do business with major corporations don't necessarily mean you are uh, it took us six years to get our first corporate contract six years of business development six years of being visible six years of learning uh, and training ourselves on what this whole corporate environment was, was like six years on building strategic alliances you know till we finally got there and, and, and now you know we have a pretty decent uh, offering for corporate America. Wow, I love it. That's fantastic. Um, and and I notice that you talked about your your three segments: um, uh, small business, government, and uh, large corporations. So was 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 that an attempt to just make uh, ensure you had 
a diversified portfolio that kind of protects you through the, the ups and the downs? Is that intentional or did you back into that? You know, when, when did it become extremely critical for you to make sure you had a diversified customer base? No, that's a great question. And, and the reason that we did that was, you know, we've been around for 35 years, over 35 years, but we've also um, been through some ups and some downs. So, and, and I'm telling you, uh, there were some very, very difficult years when we had a lot of our business that was more in the uh, government side. And then, and then there's a lot of our business that was in the small business side. But when you, if, you know, if you understand that business is cyclical and you're going to have, you know, every seven years or so, you're probably going to have some shift in, in the economy to some degree. If all of my, if all of my focus and all of my earning potential was in corporate America, when this city, oil prices fell from $100 a barrel to $50 a barrel, we would have been out of business if all of our business was in the corporate America space. And when the government have its challenges, when they shut down or when we have no political season or when, you know, the budget is tight, if all of our business was on the government sector, we would have been out of business. And then the small to minority business, you know, that's tied to the economy and, 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 and tied to uh, the opportunities uh, in the city as well. So our thought was and continue to be today that, that where we believe we add the most value and where it benefits the company the most from a business and a financial perspective is to focus our efforts on those three areas. So all of our resources is around the corporate, the government, small to mid-sized minority-owned business. That's where you're going to see us playing most all the time. I like that. It sounds like as a business owner, you got to be smart about uh, not only what you say yes to, but equally what you say no to. <laughs> right. So now 35 years, Ed, you, you, you've you been blowing and going pretty strong now, man. It sounds like you've built a, a, a legacy. And I heard you say earlier that uh, it was important that you you find a way to give back. And we talked about you know what I know firsthand, and uh, what I know is is one of the things that's a, a fantastic part of the your company's reputation about your business, your your your, um, your program to actively find a minority businesses to work with. But tell us a little bit more about your um, invest in my own community initiative. What 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 brought that about, and uh, how does that work, and what what are your goals for for that? Yeah, so the uh, uh, invest in my own community again, man. Yeah, you know, I, I get these ideas, and, and my daughter <laughs> and my my folks, in my office, they'll tell you all the time. I wake up at you know two or three o'clock in the morning, and I have these ideas, and I'll send them a text, or I send them an email, or I'll send them something, right? And uh, and so uh, I'm sending a session, I'm sending a class, and Folks are talking, right? And I'm and I got this client where we we're going to be uh, providing with some consulting services and some more ideas on stuff. And uh, I'm sitting in this class, and this then this invest in my own community just pops out at me because I know we want to do something in the community, and I know we want to impact the community. I know there's a challenge in the community. So the reason that we 
we created uh, IMOC, I-M-O-C, Invest in My Own Community, is that I've spent a lot of time making and helping to make a lot of folks a lot of money that does not look like you and I, all right? And, I'm, and I've got great relationship with those folks as well. But what really is interesting to me is that the generational wealth and creating generational wealth from folks that live and work in certain communities is not happening. The vast majority of commercial real estate development and investing into underserved, underinvested communities are coming from people outside of those communities. And I, you know, I, I tell my story that when I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, you know, the people that own the commercial real estate in my community lived outside of my community. Hmm. Okay. Then when I went away to school and came back, those same people own those commercial real estate investments. However, this time their children and their grandchildren owned it. So they had created generational wealth. So when I started asking the question, why is it that people that live and work in these underserved, underinvested communities are not involved in this wealth building initiative around commercial real estate? And then two reasons came back. It was fear and mystery. People had fear of commercial real estate and they had this huge mystery around uh, commercial real estate. Why, how I get in it, don't have enough money, I'm afraid to get in it. So when we created the program Invest in My Own Community, our goal was to educate and to train people that live and work in underserved communities on how to become commercial real estate investors and developers so they can begin creating generational wealth for themselves and their families. And we take them through a education curriculum that they come in not knowing anything about investing in commercial real estate or developing commercial real estate. And when they leave in five months, uh, it's a five month, once a month curriculum. Uh, when they leave, then they are comfortable in investing in commercial real estate and developing commercial real estate. We've taken about 432 people through that program. This is the fifth year that it has existed. I'm gonna go off script for a little bit here and uh, kind of share with folks. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting with a wealth advisor and she brought out something that just truly fascinated me because as you know, Ed, my, my uh, reason for doing this is uh, I want to help diverse businesses, minority and women business owners build legacy businesses that give back. You know, it's, it's, you know, build wealth for ourselves, build wealth for our families. Like you talked about generational wealth, but also uh, to fund the projects that mean something to us, you, you know, B Bill and Melinda Gates, Warren Buffett, you, you know, Oprah Winfrey, those aren't the only people that can create foundations and make a difference. Every one of us who dare to start a business, we have that potential, but it's one of those things that this uh, financial advisor or wealth manager pointed out. She said, you know, your business is nothing more than a cash machine. Most people, A, never build their business to sell and B, their businesses never actually sell at what they think it's actually worth. You might think it's, you know, worth 10 X. Um, 
uh, margin or 10x profit or 10x revenue, but somebody might only offer you two or three X. And she said, the real thing that uh, you need from your business as a cash flow machine is for it to spit out enough income for you to invest in something that's actually going to help build your legacy, which she talked about real estate being one of those things. You have to invest in an asset that generates money so that, you know, even if you don't go into work, it, the cash register still rings. And if I just heard you correctly with the IMOC program, you are actually showing people how to get into commercial real estate so that it actually spits out cash on a monthly basis that has pretty much absolutely nothing to do with their business, but it actually helps them in their local communities. Did, did, did I catch that? Yeah, uh, so yeah, absolutely. So what we wanna see happen is if when people drive down the street of a particular community, that they can say, hey, Miss Jones owns that retail shopping center. She lives in the community. Uh, Mr. Joseph owns that office building. He lives in the community. So we're not driving through the communities, passing by these wealth building uh, uh, opportunities, wealth building structures, and not knowing how we can at least get involved. You can get involved by either selling or becoming a commercial real estate professional. You can generate you know, wealth that way or you can generate wealth by actually becoming an investor and a developer into uh, the projects that, that, uh, that, are, that are in your community or outside of your community for that matter. But most importantly, we wanna bring, so that we wanna bring not only the opportunity there, but these communities, a lot of these communities are tremendously underrepresented by uh, products and services that you and I take for granted. You've probably heard about the food desert. There's some communities that you gotta drive, you know, must to get to work. things that we take granted the shopping the entertainment the the uh, the 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 comfort uh, quality of life things in many of these communities don't exist well if the people that live and work in those communities had the resources and the know-how to create those structures in addition to allowing that to create generational wealth for themselves that's the ultimate goal for us wow I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so you built a successful business and you're creating opportunities for, uh, for, for MBEs to, to not only build successful business, but create legacy and generational wealth. <laughs> See, I, I knew that was a good reason why, why the universe conspired to have you on the show this month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lord knows I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, we're 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 gonna start uh, wrapping up here. So, um, uh, once again, I want to get back to the the book, the the secrets to building a successful minority-owned business. Can you um, share with the the listeners a, a few additional takeaways that you 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 want to make sure that that they they land on as they uh, think about the various things we've talked about today? What what are the one, two, or three things you you, you want to make sure they, they don't forget? Well, first, I want them not to forget to, to go onto the website and purchase the book, uh, uh, not just because I want you to buy it, but I think that if you are a minority-owned firm, uh, it, it, it's some rich information in here 
for you. The, 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 I will point out three things in the book that keeps coming up every time someone buys it and they read it and they call me. And I've gotten so many emails about how great the book is. And, you know, uh, and the three, the three things that, that keeps coming up to me is that one of the chapter when I talk about only $35 to my name. And that tells the story of how, as a minority-owned firm, you can get down so low, but if you just don't give up, and if you have a plan, and if you're not too proud to reach out for support and help, you can turn almost a failing out-of-business business into a successful business. So my point there is, don't let your pride get in the way of reaching, for, reaching out for help understand uh, what your uh, uh, shortcomings are and be willing to roll up your sleeve, pray hard and make it happen. The other thing that, that uh, comes up is uh, the, the chapter about from the 11th floor to the lobby. And, and the reason that this keeps resonating is because oftentimes we underestimate the opportunity that's right in front of our face because we start assuming or we've got these preconceived ideas of who a person is or how they're going to react. And, you know, we, we, we fearful of, of, of starting that conversation or developing that relationship. I believe that that chapter from the 11th floor to the lobby may resonate with people and give you some insight on how you may want to start thinking about, opportunities that are all around you. And then the last one I mentioned, there, 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 there are many, uh, there are others in here, but the last one I would mention would be the one on humility. This was a personal experience for me that, that uh, humility is a key component to success. And oftentimes we think that we have to, you know, pump our chest out. We have to be, you know, cocky and arrogant and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, step outside of uh, uh, who we naturally are. But what I found is that this, this, this genuine humility goes a long ways in success. And the point in the book is you don't really get it until you lose it. And I'm not going to go into details about that. When you read the book, you, you, you'll see. But, but those, those are the three areas that uh, folks consistently uh, – Tell me how grateful they are for those for those three chapters. I love it. I love it. I love it. So just so the readers understand, uh, I know they can go to edryland.com. That's E-D-R-Y-L-A-N-D, edryland.com, and they can order a copy. Uh, have you chosen to make it widely available through uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon just yet, or are you keeping a little close to the vest for, for now? No, what we've done is we've been on book tours, as you know. We did uh, the first one we kicked off in Vegas, which was really successful. The one in St. Louis was even more successful. We sold out of books there. And we're going to have a book tour in Houston on the 29th. We're in the process now. So we wanted to test it, and we wanted to be in more control of the, of the book before we, uh, before we jumped out there. Now we're, we're in the process of getting it on Amazon. We talk with Barnes & Noble people. Uh, so we'll probably be getting it out there as well. But right now, the, the easiest and quickest way is to, is to order it online from our website, and then we and they'll ship it to you. 
All right. So they can uh, go to edryland.com and I'll uh, make sure that link is posted in our, um, uh, uh, our, our liner notes. And uh, can they also get information about IMOC uh, from edryland.com or is that a different website? That's a different website. Uh, IMOC.com uh, should be the website if they want to do that or they can call our office and, and we can uh, plug them into that that part of what we're doing all righty then i'll uh if it's okay with you i'll post your your office number imoc.com and edryland.com for the book so people have that information all right and uh ed i want to thank you for spending the time with us i know i learned quite a bit uh as i shared with you earlier i've i've always uh appreciated what you do in the community and i appreciate your support of what we have been doing a number of your staff have been to our training and uh, uh, i i know you are committed to sharing the secrets and helping folks get further along and you've just been a fantastic role model to show you know this is how it's done so i i appreciate you my brother well, well i thank you for that man and i tell you my folks would kill me if i didn't at least say what we do you know folks just, my, my people in the office say hey you've been talking about this book a lot do people know what you actually do so i, mean, <laughs> so I need to at least let the folks know that we are expert commercial real estate advisors so if you have any kind of commercial real estate needs challenges or wants we can assist you with that if you're looking to buy sell or lease any kind of commercial real estate anywhere in the country we can assist you with that uh, otherwise my folks will kill me he said man you mean to tell me you've been on the phone for an hour and you didn't <laughs> mention what we do <laughs> Yeah, you could cause a little insurrection up in here, up in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, everyone, uh, thank you. Please go to www.blueprintpros.com to, to uh, get the information about uh, uh, Ed's book and about IMOC and about uh, his company's ability to support you with commercial real estate. And uh, also, get, feel free to join our email list to stay up to date on new episodes and other exciting news, or just leave me a message. Let me know what you think about this, this episode, and if you have any questions that uh, I might have to circle back to, to Ed with, and uh, he, he may uh, be, be a guest again for us if, if the demand is there. And also, share our podcast with your friends and colleagues, and uh, stay tuned. We have... Uh, uh, a special surprise coming up in the next few episodes or so. And uh, Ed, I want to thank you. This is Randall Dobbins, and I'll see you on the other side. No problem. Thank you, Randall. Take care.